Welcome everyone. We are continuing our study of Simcha. We are in class number 70. Good job. This class has been generously sponsored Le'elui Nishmat Esther Bat Sarah Maman by her loving family. May our class be Le'elui Nishmata Amen. We've been studying the subject of de'aga, of worry. And we have been taking the advice of Shlomo HaMelech with the help of Hazal and their direction. We've been primarily focused on the beginning of the Pasuk in Mishle. De'aga belev ish yashhena, which we already went through numerous classes discussing what that advice exactly is. But the pasuk doesn't end there. It says, Vedavar tov, and there's something good, yesamehena that will bring great happiness to it. <clears throat> Sounds like there's a way to get rid of worry or maybe not let it affect us. But then there's a way that not only that worry doesn't affect us, but actually we bring simha into our lives. A person with worry is troubled. A person with simha is on the other end. But to get to that simha, says the Pasuk, you need davar tov. You need something good. So it doesn't really say what something good is. Is this something good? Ice cream, is it? What, what does he mean by good? So I imagine anything good helps, even ice cream. Sometimes it's good just to have ice cream. To change it up. Gotta be able to enjoy things. I'm sure it means that too. But it has to mean something essentially tov. Davar tov. What could that mean? Where do we see in the Torah something that is tov? There are a number of things that we find in the Torah that are called tov. To like today, I like to focus on one of them, because surely Shlomo HaMelech had in mind whatever the word Tov means in the Torah. We find in Kohelet, in his own words, Shlomo HaMelech says, "Tovim hashenaim min ha'ehad." There's that word Tov. Tovim hashenaim. Simply, the pasuk means that two are better than one. Two people together is better than one person. As he describes later, if one of them will fall, the other one will pick the other up. The benefits of having more than one person. But some explain beautifully 
Tovim hashnaim. When are two good? When can we say about shnaim or more than shnaim? Shnaim just means plural. When can we say about two that they are tov? When we look at two people, three people, four people, when could we say about them, oh, they are tov. Tov means not just good, tov means perfect. It's more than good. Tovim hashenaim. You know how you know if they're tov or not? Min ha'ehad. Min ha'ehad means, does their relationship emanate from ahdut? Do they come from ehad? Are they coming from being together? Are they united? When is tovim mashnaim min ha'ehad? When they come from that sense of unity, that they have with each other in any relationship in life friendships marriage any relationship in life that has ehad that has ahdut which is a tall order as we will see is going to have tov is going to have a description of good great perfect As we know, each person on Rosh Hashanah is judged as an individual. It says in the words of Hazal that we are judged Kivdeh Maron. They pass us like sheep, one at a time. That image is meant to tell us that each person is responsible for their own actions. You're not going to be held accountable for something that's not relevant to you. Unless you could have affected it, it's not relevant to you. Each person has to find their purpose and find the way to get there. Each person is going to be asked why they weren't or they didn't become the best version of themselves. They're not gonna ask why you didn't become Rabbi Akiva or Moshe Rabbeinu or Ruth or Hannah or Miriam. They're not going to ask those questions. There's only one question that each person needs to answer. Is why didn't you become the best version of yourself? We're not asking you to become something other than who you are. You must learn from all people learn from their triumph and from their failures. We can all learn from each other, but ultimately each person needs to bring it home for themselves. We are responsible to make sure we reach our destiny. That's why a lot of times when we worry about what other people think or what other people are going to say, it becomes a distraction to our own success. It doesn't matter what people say. It doesn't matter what people do. It only matters enough to help them or to learn from them. 
But it doesn't really matter at the end of the day what anybody else is doing because I am responsible for me. So each person is responsible for themselves. We will be judged as individuals. So therefore, when we worry about everything else that's going on, you worry about things that don't matter. At the end of the day, when things go wrong, they're not going to ask your friend or your cousin. They're going to ask you. Why did you not live up to all the potential that Hashem gave you? That's a reality we all live in our lives. We're all responsible for ourselves. But yet, Hashem created an interesting world where although we each have our own lane, as you know, no two people are the same. There hasn't been one since Adam Arishon. No people think the same. No people look the same. No people talk the same. No people have the same fingerprint. Everybody's different. Billions and billions of people. And not one is the same. Because each one has their own lane in this world. Yet, despite the fact that each one is in their own lane, Hashem created us in a world that we share with so many others like us. Somebody asked me some years back, why is it that Hashem made such a huge world? Scientists today say that just in our galaxy, you have over a hundred billion stars. hundred billion stars just in the galaxy. And one, our galaxy is one of millions. Why did Hashem create such a big world that's going really, it's useless, except, except for scientists or science projects? There's really no gain that we have from all the billions of stars that are around us. Why did Hashem make them for? So one is maybe to show us His ability. That could be. Except that for most people, they don't even know that exists. And they don't, we don't even realize what that is, what that strength is. We can't even appreciate it so big. But maybe a more simple answer to that question is that a person, if they were asked, tell me why you have so many people around you. Your house has so many neighbors. You go to places and there are people there. Wherever you go, there are people. You go shopping, there are people in every lane in that supermarket. Everywhere you go, you want to park, there are cars waiting. Everywhere you go, you're surrounded by so many people. Why did Hashem make the world so populated? Where everyone's on top of each other. So one might make a mistake to think, well, it's just a question of space. There are so many people. There's a limited space. Not everyone can get a house on the beach. Not everyone can live with acres around them. It's just not going to work. So many people in this world, and 
there's a limited space. So therefore, they have no choice but to live on top of each other. They have no choice but to be around each other. That's what people might think is the reason why we live around people. There's just no space for each one to have everything that they would like. So Hashem, perhaps, is sending us a very clear message that we should realize it's not so. Hashem says, listen, I'm going to make in this world, you see your little planet? There's going to be billions like your planet and much bigger. Many of these stars are bigger than the sun, which is way bigger than the earth. There are more stars than there were people from Adam HaRishon until today. If we would count the amount of stars, it doesn't even compare. This is to remind us that if Hashem would want, He can give us each our own planet. Imagine your planet is all yours. You had every kind of area you want to live in, and it's all yours. The mountains are yours, the beaches are yours, the oceans are yours. It's all yours. It's your planet. That sounds awesome. Hashem says, I can give every human from Adam Arishon till today his own planet, and I still have a lot more to go around. But I did not put anybody on any planet except this one. Which means, I want you to live together. I specifically put you together, not because I ran out of space. Because your mission in life is only going to be a reality through living together with other people. You're not going to be successful in your mission if you're by yourself. You need to have more people in your life. And that is why I put you together with so many people. That's why you have so many neighbors and so many friends and so many people in your city, in your town. It's not accidental. And it's not because I ran out of space. It's not a space issue. It's a greatness issue. It's a life purpose issue. It's where you need to become to be great issue. Hashem made us social creatures. That even though we each have our own lane, but yet, to be successful in our own lane, we need to connect to the people in our lives. And to the extent that we're able to connect is how we will be successful in our own lane. There is a famous story in Masechet Ta'anit about one great rabbi, his name was Honiya Ma'agel. He was a great man, and the Gemara reports that he came back to his neighborhood many decades later than where he was 
And when he got there, he asked, is the son of Honi Amagel here? They told him, no, his son isn't here. But his grandson is here. So he said to them, you know, I am Honi Amagel. Gemara says, Lohi Menu. They didn't believe him. So okay, yeah, great, right. He went to the Bet Midrash, the Gemara says. And he heard the rabbis are talking in the Bet Midrash and they're saying, wow, you know, the way they used to learn, there was a man, Honiya Miragel, whenever there was a question in the Bet Midrash, he would walk in and he would answer it. What a great man that was. They had such clarity in learning. So he told them, I am Honiya Miragel, the one you were talking about. That's me. Velohi Menu. But they didn't believe him. So okay, you're right. Velo Avdele Yekara Kid Mevaele. And they didn't treat him with respect like they're supposed to. The Gemara says after these experiences, Halash Tate, he felt very weak. Ba'era Hame, he asked Hashem. Umit and he died. He couldn't deal with it. Amar Rabbah says Rabbah. And you might think this is a crazy story. Because he came back 70 years later. It never happens, not relevant. But the Gemara says Rabbah, that's why we need the rabbis to help us light up things that we may not feel is relevant. Says Rava, you know what you learned from the story? He says, this story is a great demonstration of what people say. Oh, Havruta. Or you have a connection with people. Oh, Metuta. Or you might as well die. Because life, you're not going to make it. If you're not going to be connected to the people in your life, then your life is not worth living. Honia Magel, this unbelievable person, when he came back into the world and came back to his town and he couldn't connect with them, maybe it was a, an age gap, maybe it was a generational gap, whatever it is, he couldn't connect with those people anymore. He realized, if I can't connect with the people here, then there's no purpose to my life. We could have argued with him. We would have said, what do you mean? So you don't connect, so go to the cave. Go do other things. Go get involved in other projects. Do your own thing. That's what we might have told him. You know, life isn't all about <coughs> connecting to people. Move on. Figure it out. But I guess Honi and Magel knew a little better. He understood that if you're not able to connect to the people in your life, so then your life may not be worth living. So it's not an accident that wherever we go, we find people. It's actually one of the important 
missions or the setting for the greatness of our lives. One of the key tools for success in life is the ability to connect, to connect to others, family, friends, neighbors. We don't mean popularity, by the way. We don't mean there's a need to be popular in this world. Popular doesn't really mean anything. It just means that more people know your name. That doesn't make a difference. People can be popular for good things or bad things. That doesn't make a person important and doesn't make them successful. We don't talk about popularity. And we're not even talking about how many people you connect to. But what it does mean is that the people in your life the ones that Hashem put you with, wherever He placed you, your family, your friends, your neighbors, in order to succeed in life, we need to connect. We need to connect to Hashem. We even need to connect to ideas. Ideas are something outside of us. We learn something that we didn't know. Do you connect with it? You heard something that you never thought about. Are you connected with it? Some people, when they hear something, they learn something. They don't just learn it, they connect to it. It becomes a part of them. And some people, it's in their book if they wrote notes. But it's not connected to them. They could learn about every subject imaginable and understand it and like it and appreciate it, but they don't connect to it. There are people that have the ability to connect and then there are those who don't. If you're able to connect, you can connect to everyone. You can connect to everything that's worth connecting to. If you don't have the ability to connect, it's going to be a hard life. On you, we could say, O Havruta, O Metuta. Now, nobody should be asking for the latter. Honia Me'agel saw that it was impossible for him to connect in that situation. But for us, if Hashem put us here, that means we can connect. And if we're not doing so well at it, we need to work on it because it's a very important part of life. Of course, it's easier to go into your corner and say, who cares? It doesn't matter that I can't connect to my family. It doesn't matter I can't connect to my neighbors. It doesn't matter that everybody <coughs> in my life is crazy and not worth connecting to. Say, so you know what? I'll just live my own life. I'll do my own thing. It's much easier to live that way. But it's not the way to live. We need to connect. Obviously, there are certain types of people that we need to stay away from. That's part of the challenges. But we have to connect to the people that we need to connect to. You know, connecting is an art.
meaning it's not something that is automatic. Some people are better naturally at it than others, but it's an art that needs to be worked on. It's like glue. Imagine connections like glue. If you have the glue, you can connect to anything. Imagine you have a piece of paper and it has glue on it. Whatever you put to the, next to the paper will attach. Simple. If we have that glue in our abilities, the ability to connect means we have the glue. If we have that glue, then we'll be, have, we'll be able to connect to anyone and to anything worth connecting to. Without the glue, imagine a piece of paper. Without glue, no matter how much you put on it or how close you put things to it, it just doesn't connect. You could be married to it, but you just don't connect. I mean, you're together, but you don't connect. There's something special about the glue of connection. So where do we get that glue from? That's the question. Where does one acquire the glue of connection that once they have it, it's awesome. It's an unbelievable life of accomplishment through that glue. Where do you buy it? Which store is it available in? How much does it cost? What is the investment? So the good news is, here's the good news. The good news is that we all have the glue by nature, which means you don't have to manufacture it. You don't have to buy it. It's not for sale. Everybody here that's normal, let's assume everyone's normal. Yes? Who knows if we're normal? Everyone, even the not normal thinks they're normal. But let's assume we're normal. If we're normal people, yes? So, they say today normal is not normal. So, I'm not sure if we want to say we're normal. But bottom line is, if we're normal people, that means we already have the glue. It's inborn. So if you'll ask me if it's inborn and automatic, so what's the challenge? So great. Everyone should be doing great. So the answer to that question is that while we all have the glue, it comes with a little bit of a barrier. There's a little block on the glue that doesn't allow the glue to connect. Maybe we can compare it to a band-aid that has a wrapping on top. As long as the wrapping is on top, even though it has glue to connect, until you remove the wrapping, the glue cannot do its job. So by nature, we have the ability to connect. But we must get rid of the wrapping. All of us are born with the glue and the wrapping on top. If you don't get rid of the wrapping, the glue is there forever, but never used. Question is, what is the wrapping? What is the wrapping that is covering up our glue that's blocking our real connections or connecting in a real way? 
So the answer is that the wrapping is called in Hebrew, Ga'ava. So let me describe to you what Ga'ava, or what a person of Ga'ava does. Ga'ava, of course, is translated into arrogance. An arrogant person, this is in no particular order, just ideas that I wrote down. An arrogant person must show that they are perfect as much as possible. An arrogant person doesn't tolerate criticism. An arrogant person can do no wrong. An arrogant person will not admit to personal weakness. An arrogant person is preoccupied with thoughts of how to impress others and hide their faults. An arrogant person sees anyone who is more successful as a threat to himself. An arrogant person tries to show everyone that they are better. An arrogant person tries to make sure that everyone is aware of their virtuous acts and even if they're acts that they never actually did, but they would love that people think that they're virtuous. Those are some examples. There are many more. You could fill in the rest. That's an example of an arrogant person. Now the truth is, whatever I just said doesn't really define arrogance. It just tells you what arrogant people do. That's what arrogant people do. But what is arrogance? Meaning, what is the root cause of a person to act this way? Why would a person not take criticism? Why do you have to show you're perfect? Why can't you admit that you're wrong? Why do you have to be better than somebody else? Why do you need to have everybody bow to you? Where does that come from? What is the seed that is bringing all of this into your reality? The answer is found in the words of Tanakh, in the, in the Navi, the Pasuk says in Yeshaya. Ve'ata. Hashem is talking to Babel of the time, to Babylonia. He says, Shim'izot. Listen to this. Adina. Adina means spoiled. Babel was a spoiled country. Hayoshevet labeta. You live in your fake tranquility. You think everything is fine. Haomra bilbava, which means she says in her heart, referring to the people, the leaders, Ani, it is me. Ve'afsi od. And there's nothing in the world but me. Ani, get those words. This is mentioned here in another place as well. Ani ve'afsi od. There's a certain attitude that a human is capable of that says, Ani, you know what exists in this world? Me. Ve'afsi, odd. Mean odd, and what else is there in the world? 
I don't see anything else. Ani, Ephes. Ephes means zero. Ani, ve, like we say, Ephes, Zulato. There's nothing besides Hashem. Each human has the capability of saying, Ani, you know who exists in this world? Me. Odd. What about anybody else? Absi. I don't see anybody. It's just me. What a, what a mindset. How crazy do you have to be to think that? You know anybody else? Anybody? I say else besides you. That could actually think that? Could anybody actually say Ani and there's nobody here? So you mean there are people that will come into this room and say, I don't see anybody. People will go to pray with the minyan and say, there's no minyan here. I'm praying by myself. Anyone will drive their car in the street and say, I don't see cars. I don't think we've met anybody like that. What kind of, what kind of people were living at the time? Ani ve'afsi'od. What does that mean? What kind of person, what kind of sick human being you have to be to actually believe that you're the only one on the planet and nobody exists? So it means the following, and it's very relevant to everybody here. These people are not crazy. They're wrong, but they're not crazy. We're all capable of ani ve'afsi'od. Ani ve'afsi'od doesn't mean there aren't people around me. Ani ve'afsi'od means that it's all about me. Meaning, in my mind, it's all about me. All these people, well, their only value is what they can do for me. As far as I'm concerned, they don't exist for themselves. I only look at them as something that I could use for me. So for example, I walk into a room of a thousand people. I start looking around. I say, well, okay, this person, they have money. I better say hello to them. Because you never know. You never know. Maybe one day they'll be useful. Hi, nice to see you. Shabbat shalom. Now, you notice somebody? No, you didn't. You notice somebody because you thought about yourself. That person, oh, they're not so wealthy, but you know, they have they have a very good boy as their son. Hi, you never know. Might be something in the future. You know what? Shabbat shalom. It's very nice to see you. You look great. The next person, oh, you know, that person, they're very smart. Sometimes they come up with some great ideas. I might need their advice one day. Oh, okay. Shabbat shalom. It's so nice to see you. You know, I love you very much. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate that. Wow. Another person. Oh, that person, one day, you might have a connection with the government. Like, they're very connected. But one day, you might get in trouble. Who knows? They might suspend your license. Maybe you got too many tickets. So, who are you going to run to? That person, they're very well connected. You know what? 
Shabbat Shalom. So nice to see you. Come, let me give you a hug. Hold on. You see what's going on? Oh, that one, they have a cousin that might be helpful. That one has a great uncle in a different country who might be helpful. Now imagine you met a person in that crowd as you're walking. No money, no children, no chokhmah, zero wisdom, zero power, zero connections. He's a ger, just became a convert. He has no family, he has nothing. You look at the guy and you just keep walking. You know why? Because he's not relevant to you. Because in your world, the only one that exists is you. And anybody else is only relevant if it has to do with you. But if there's nothing that you can gain from that person, then they don't exist. They're not relevant. Ani ve'afsi'od is a real attitude that we all have. It's actually the attitude of every child. Children don't look out for others. They don't look out for their friends. The only people they care about is themselves. They, one, nobody else. They will try to give snacks to those that might help them. They will share with those that might somehow get them into the team. They will figure this out. But it's all self-centered. Every act has to do with ani. Ani ve'afsi od. Nobody else matters. It doesn't make a difference. As far as I'm concerned, you don't exist. You only exist if you're relevant and you could help me. That is actually the nature of a human being when they're born. And that is arrogance. That what, that's what arrogance is. Arrogance is defined by the words ani ve'afsi'od. Once you have that mindset, so it will lead you to many bad attitudes. Let's think of a relationship that doesn't have ani ve'afsi'od. Just to have a clarity of what we're talking about. Or what we're not talking about. A mother to a child. A mother to a child is a very interesting relationship. You don't find it by normal relationships. You have a mother, a person, who is thinking about the welfare of the child. Not because of herself. In fact, she will put her child ahead of her. She's worried about the child even if he's not in front of her. She's willing to give up of her own life just for the child's benefit. This is because when the child comes into her life, she's able to connect to that child. Because for this child, she took away the wrapper of Ani Ve'afsi'od. The wrapper that we have always with us, when the child is born, the wrapper is gone. The wrapper is called arrogance. And now there's this unbelievable connection. This connection that's so real that makes them one. 
let's think about the child to their mother. What's the connection there? So the child is physically close to their mother, but doesn't really care about the mother. Doesn't think about the mother, isn't worried about the mother. It's disappointing sometimes for parents to really believe that, but that's the truth. Children look at their parents as vending machines. They're just there. I mean, hopefully they stay around for many years because who would take care of us? Who would give us? Who would deal with us? When a child thinks of his mother and father, they're thinking about themselves and what they can get from their parents. They're not worried about their mother. And sometimes the mother's so disappointed, I can't believe my children, they're not worried about me. Okay, they're not worried about you. That's the fact. Until they take off the wrapping, which could happen maybe bar mitzvah, probably not. Maybe when they hit 18, probably not. Maybe when they become parents, maybe. Then you have to wait many years before children can feel something about their parents. They need to take off the wrapping, otherwise they can't connect. The wrapping is covering themselves in themselves. Like I mentioned before, this applies not only to connecting to people, connecting to ideas, the same story. An arrogant person cannot learn because an arrogant person has to show or in his mind, they know everything. Everything they do and have done, perfect. How many times have you seen someone make a mistake and fix it? Oh, this is what I meant. That's not what you meant. You know you didn't mean that. But they have to figure out a way, even if they're wrong, to say, oh, well, I thought, I didn't realize. Instead of saying, I was wrong. It's very hard to say you're wrong. And to learn, you have to be able to say, I was wrong. I didn't know. Guess what? I woke out of a class, I learned something. You know, I didn't know that. I didn't realize that. You can't do that if you're ani ve'avsi'ot. You can't do it. You cannot connect to anything new. Because you have this attitude of everything is in you. And everything is about you. And anything you learn becomes almost a knock on yourself. So you have to just keep away from anything you learn. It's an amazing thing. You can't connect to anyone or anything in a real way. Therefore, to make it in life, we need to connect. We need to be able to connect to more than ourselves. In order to do that, we gotta get rid of the mark of the of the wrapper. We got to get rid of the arrogance. We got to walk into a room and ask ourselves, what is it that I can do for that person? Instead of thinking what he could do for me, what can I do for them? Maybe that person needs a little bit of a pat on the back. Maybe that person needs 
a phone call, maybe that person needs a smile, whatever it is. It's a whole different attitude. How do you walk into a room? How do you walk into your house? Some people walk into their house and already are thinking what they can get out of the house. And some people walk into the house thinking what they can give to the people in the house. It's a whole different mindset. You have to change focus. Anive afsi'od is the way we're born. Nobody's blaming us for being that way. That's the way we were when we came into this world. Our challenge is to get rid of that wrapping. In order to get rid of the wrapping, you got to change focus. It can't be always about me. Yes, I have to take care of me. If I don't take care of myself, who is responsible for my lane if not me? Of course I have to take care of myself. But if I live my life all about me, ma'ani. So it's an amazing thing. While we have our own lane to get to our goal, our own lane cannot be complete unless we look at the other lanes. That's why they explain by Kiriati Yamsuf, they had different lanes for each tribe. And in between the lanes, they were like water, it looked like glass. They were, they were separated by water, but, this, but, but they were able to see what's on the other side. So why didn't he make mehitzot? Why wasn't it like just wood in between them? Why wasn't the water so much that you couldn't see through? Why did Hashem make it that the water would separate them, but they could see right through it like a glass? Answer is, because life, in order to succeed, you got to stay in your own lane. But you can't make it unless you're looking at the other lanes. If you're not looking to see how you can help the people around you, then you won't succeed even in your lane. Yes, you got to stay in your lane, but you won't succeed unless you're able to see the needs of the other people around you. So we've got to stay, or not stay, change focus and stay focused on others and what we could do for others. I saw once a beautiful story. It's a beautiful drasha and a beautiful story. Rabbi Avraham Chaim Fuhrer once took his father-in-law Rabbi Mordechai Gifter, Zecher Tzadik Lebracha, who was the Rosh Yeshiva of Tells in Cleveland. He took him to an eye doctor, here actually in Brooklyn, New York. And when they were by the eye doctor, Rabbi Fear, who was at the time writing a book on Tehillim, he told the doctor, he said, I have something interesting to share with you. He says, the Pasuk says in Tehillim, David HaMelech writes, Shomreni Hashem, watch over me, Ke'ishon Bat'ayin. Watch over me like a person watches over their pupil. A pupil is a very sensitive area in the body. I make sure it stays out of trouble. Hashem, please watch over me like a person watches over his pupil. So he says, the Radak asks, why the word Ishon in Hebrew, Ish, Aleph, Yud, Shin, Vav, Nun, 
Why is that the right word for pupil of the eye? So the Radak says that the word Ishon comes from the word Ish. Ish means a person. The Vav Nun turns the person into small. So for example, in Hebrew, Yeled is a child. Yaldon, you add a Vav Nun, it means a small child. So the Vav Nun in the end turns the word into something smaller. So Ish is a person. Ishon is a small person. Says the Radak, the reason why the pupil is called Ishon is because when you look in somebody's pupil, you will see a little person. That's why it's called Ishon. You see yourself, but in small. That's the Hidush that the rabbi was telling the Aidata. Rabbi Gifter, Allah Shalom, was listening, says, you know, I just realized what an amazing message that Hashem sends us every minute. Every person that we see, Hashem is talking to us. Usually when you look at another person, Ani, it's me, and everybody else is so small. They don't matter. They only matter in things that are relevant to me. But Hashem says, no, look at his eyes. What do you see? You see someone familiar? Oh yes, that looks like me. Yes, it is you. And how do you look in his eyes? Very small. Oh, exactly. You want to make it in life? You have to be the small person in the relationships. Not that you are up and they're down. No, no. You are down and they're up. You figure out a way that you could serve them. What could you do for them? How could you crown them? What can you do to the people in your life? Like I said, your family, your neighbors, your friends, everybody. That's how you will become a great person. By looking at yourself as small. And Hashem reminds us every day. In fact, I notice that even in English it's like that. We call it the pupil. What does the word pupil mean? So pupil, they say a student in school is called a pupil. But I looked it up that the word pupil actually comes from the Latin word which means small doll. You look at yourself as a small doll. So even in English they got it right. So it's a reminder both in Hebrew and English. We know that when Am Yisrael once a year would give donations to the Mishkan. These donations were used for the korbanot, the sacrifices that they would use all year. They had communal sacrifices. They would bring everyday korbanot. Where'd they get the money from? So the money had to come from all of Am Yisrael. So every Jew we read Parashat Shekalim. That's the time in Adar where they would announce people would come give their donation to the korbanot for the entire year in the Beit HaMikdash. Interestingly, the Torah says, how much do you give? 
Let's say I want to give a lot of money. Do I give a lot of money? How does it work? So interestingly, it says you give mahasita shekel. You have to give half a shekel, which is so odd. You would think, especially we know how great charity is. You would think, give a whole number. Give half a dollar. Give a dollar. Why does the Torah tell us to give each person half a dollar? Some explain the message goes beyond money. Here, you're coming to give money with everybody else for the entire year. Hashem is reminding each person, remember, by yourself, you're a half. If you, a half doesn't mean two. It means you're always short of completion unless you connect to other people in your life. Never look at yourself as a whole. Mahasita shekel means I need another to be able to connect, to be able to become complete. That's why the Pasuk says, Hine ma tov. Here's that word again. Davar tov. Hine ma tov. Umanaim. How good it is. How sweet it is. Shevet ahim gam yachad. When brothers live together. When family is together. When friends are together. Tov and Naim are discussing two different things. Naim means it's sweet. Ah, it's so enjoyable. You know, sometimes you eat something, it's tov, but it's not sweet. Doctor says you have to eat it, it's good for you. You hate it, but you eat it because it's good. And sometimes there are things that are sweet. Ah, oh, they're so good, but they're terrible for you. Ma tov u naim. So beneficial. So sweet. It is when people are together, when people are connected. Matov. Like David Amir can't get over it. Like how awesome. Like I can't even describe to you how awesome this is. The benefits of being Yahad, of being one, of being connected. And especially when it comes to family. You know, if you look in Yeshayahu, there's actually, it's a haftarah that we read on Yom Kippur while we're fasting. We read the haftarah and in this haftarah it talks about certain situations where Hashem is so impressed by the person that He says, look at this, as Tikra, he's so impressed by this person that when the person calls Hashem, Hashem answers him. Teshava, he screams out, Hashem, I need you. Hashem says, Hineni. Hineni means, here I am. Hineni means, at your service. We found this word, Hineni. Sometimes we see it in the Torah. I'll give you some examples of where we find it. Veha Elohim nisait Abraham. Hashem tested Abraham. Vayomer elav Abraham. He called Abraham. Vayomer, Abraham says, Hineni. Hashem, at your service, tell me, what do you want from me? I'm ready. 
I'll do anything. We find Yitzhak tells his father, Bayomer Avi, Bayomer Hineni Beni, I'm here to help you. Tell me, what do you want? He says, here, Hashem called, Bayomer Yaakov, no, sorry, Bayomer Elohim le Yisrael, Bayomer Yaakov, Yaakov, Hashem calls Yaakov, Bayomer Hineni. Vayomer Moshe Moshe Vayomer Hineni. When Eli called Shmuel, Shmuel to Hashem was calling him. Vayomer Hineni, here I am. I'm ready. Tell me what you want. Anything. We've seen this word Hineni, but we never saw it by Hashem. We can't even imagine what that means. That Hashem tells someone Hineni. I'm at your service. You tell me, what do you need? I'm here for you. That's an unbelievable zikhut uh, or merit. If the creator of the world tells you, Hineni, I am here for you, at your service. Go ahead, just ask, what do you want? What do you have to do to get Hineni? What are the qualifications? The Gemara Masechet Yevamot brings a few examples of what a person has to do for Hashem to tell him, Hineni, I'm here for you. I'm sure there are times in life where we felt we needed Hashem. Oh, we would love a Hineni right now. What do I have to do for that? What qualifies me for that status? Says the Gemara in Masechet Yevamot. Gives a few examples, and I give you one. They all have a similar theme, more or less all of them. Someone who gets close to their family. The other example they give before that. Ha'ohev et shechenav. Someone who loves their neighbors. I'm not sure if you're struck out on both. Can you imagine? Ha'ohev et shechenav. Those who love their neighbors. Do you love your neighbor? You know the one upstairs from you? No, you don't? Okay. Ha'mekarev et kerovav. Those who love their family. The Gemara says on him, the Pasuk says, Hashem says, Hineni, I am here for you. Interesting. Not the, not the stranger on the street, not the guy in the subway, not the Jew in Africa, not the person in Yerushalayim, not those people. That's not who Hashem is coming to say Hineni to you. Not for those people. For the closest people in your life your family, and the people who live closest to you. Those are the people that you need to get connected to. And when Hashem says, I see you're connected, Hashem, I'm here for you. The Beracha is here for you. Unbelievable. You know, you would think, these are the easiest thing in the world. What does that mean? Connected to family? That's easy. But 
anyone who's been around a little bit knows that actually it's not so easy at all. Family that's always on top of each other, children sharing the same bathroom, as they get older, sharing an inheritance. Oof, that's not so easy. It's gotten so bad that I almost feel like the only families that are together are the ones whose parents die without money. If they die without money, you have a good chance. But if they have something they left over, like a bracelet or a ring, not like a lot of money, even a little bit of money. Oh yeah, she was close to her because she wanted that. That's why she gave it to her. Oh, of course. Who was there when she told you that? And many, 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 many stories that are not the exception, unfortunately, but the rule. It's not so easy to live close to people and actually connect in a real, loving way. Are you connected to your brothers and sisters that you live with? Are you connected to the people in your home? Are you connected to the people that you work with? Are you connected to the people that are living around you? That is the question. And it's not an easy answer like, oh, of course. It's not so, of course. Those are challenging relationships. Hashem says, if you could do that, that's a great accomplishment. The Maharal asks, why so great? Why like, for Hashem to say Hineni, that's like, wow. What's so special about a person who's so close to his relatives? I mean, okay, we said it's a little hard, maybe a lot hard, but why so much that Hashem is giving us for doing such a thing? says the Maharal something so beautiful. It's so beautiful. I can't tell you, read this, he say, What a beautiful comment. The Maharal says, because the Pasuk in Parashat Va'et Hanan, Moshe Rabbeinu tells Am Yisrael, Ki mi goy gadol. He says, Am Yisrael, tell me, who is a great nation like you? Asher lo Elohim Kerovim Elav. Which nation has Hashem that's so close to him? He's so close to you. The way he deals with you, the way he <coughs> talks to you, the way he expects you to be close to him. Tell me, I'm Israel. Who, which nation has this closeness? Says the Maharal. You see, Hashem considers himself a karov. Karov means a relative. Hashem says, I am your karov. I am close to you. I am your relative. Which nation has such a relative like me? Says the Maharal. How 
does Hashem treat his relatives? Well, Hashem says, okay, I will treat my relatives the way you treat your relatives. How do you treat your relatives? If you treat your relatives like the Ishon, and you put people in your life ahead, and you're connected to them in the real way, I will do the same for you. I will tell you, hey, Nanny, I'm here for you. Hashem is our relative. Oh, what a beautiful maharal. The word matov umanaim. Interesting that the word ma is used twice. Matov umanaim. Ma is memhe. Memhe equals 45 in gematria. There's another word, a beautiful word, that also equals 45. It's the word geula. Geula means when a person is redeemed from some issue that they're having. It could be a physical issue. It could be a it could be a, a, a health issue. It could be a monetary issue. It could be a spiritual issue. Geula means like goel Yisrael. Hashem redeems you from the problem. Ah, gone. Baruch Hashem, not here anymore. The word geula. Also is 45. Matov. Umanaim. Matov means when you have ahdut, gam yahad, matov. Matov means you have the geula of tov and naim. You have geula in your life from your physical issues and your spiritual issues. Hashem is there to help. Oh, you're close to your cousin? You're close to your relative? Ani Hashem, I'm there with you. I'm there to give you the geula. It's interesting that if you look in Sefer Shmuel, you will find that David Melech used to be from the people invited to Shaul Melech's table. He was close to his son Yonatan. And there were a couple of days where he didn't show up. So Shaul asked his son Yonatan, where is David? I haven't seen him. He didn't come today. He didn't come yesterday. Madua loba ben Yishai. Why is ben Yishai not here? He's not coming. Any issues? Yonatan tells his father, Shaul, he says, yes, he did. He asked me before he left. He says, Shalehena, could you please give me permission to go? What, what does he have to go for? What could be better than sitting at the table of the Melech? That's not something you just leave. You can just leave the king's table. That's a big kavod. What could be so important that you're leaving the king's table? He says, please give me permission he says, I need to go. Listen to this. Shalehenina ki zevah mishpacha lanu ba'ir. 
We have a barbecue for the family in the city. David, his father is Yishai, one of the greatest Jews that ever lived. We couldn't imagine that they had a family barbecue. What are you celebrating today? Is it Shabbat? No. Is it uh, Rosh Chodesh? No. Is it uh, the holidays? No. What exactly is the purpose of this barbecue? This barbecue? It's for the family. Zebah Mishpacha. We think like family get-togethers are like some recent idea that people had. You see, from the time of David Melech, their family had a Zebah Mishpacha, a Zebah that was dedicated to the family. Because family is important. And connecting to our family is super important. It's part of our mission and growth in life. Back to the Pasuk that I just mentioned. Matov umanaim. I hope you understand those words by now. Matov umanaim. Shevet ahim. When brothers sit. Gam when brothers sit also together. So simply the word gam, yahad, gam, is not necessary. The Pasuk should have said, shevet ahim yahad. What does it mean when brothers sit also together? Just say, shevet ahim yahad. I saw a beautiful explanation that says, when brothers sit together, it's very nice. But when they're gam yachad, but when they live together, and they still sit together, that's really special. When you live far away, and you get together once in a while, that's very nice that you get along. It's very nice that you get along with people who are a little bit distant, but close. You eat together once every two weeks, every three weeks. It's nice. It's not that close. Hashem says that's beautiful. Wow. Shevet ahim yahad. It's very nice. But gam yahad? Gamat means you also live together? You also work together? You mean you're partners with the guy? And you're still yahad? Show me which partners can say shevet ahim gam yahad. Yeah, we work together all day and we love each other. We're just crazy about each other. And that's almost impossible. It's not impossible, it's unfortunate. But that's the biracha. Shevet ahim gam yahad. The people who are gam yahad with you, that are always with you, those are the people that you need to be shevet ahim. And those you get matovu manaim. That word tov that is today's class, davar tov, we spoke about tovim ashnaim minayhan. We spoke about matov umanaim. But we cannot finish today without discussing the greatest tov that a person has in their ability. Not to knock out the other tovs, 
but it's probably the greatest ability of reaching that connection. The Pasuk says, Vayomer Adonai Elohim, Lo tov heyot ha'adam levado. Oh, it's not tov for a person to be by themselves. It's not tov. Meaning, to reach the highest level of tov, which I mean, I understand the highest ch- challenge to tov, usually the highest level is the highest challenge. The highest challenge of tov and the greatest tov is when the person is married. You can become tov truly by yourself. Yes, neighbors are important and friends are important and brothers are important and all those are very important. And all of them we could say on them, matov, umanaim, all that. But if you ask, what's the highest level of tov that we need to reach, the highest level of connection that we need to live, where it's naim and beautiful, it's the tov of a marriage. By the way, you see the first law tov in the Torah. Somebody asked you, tell me, what's the first thing in the Torah that's called lotov? Not good. What's the first thing in the Torah that's called lotov? Not good. This is the first one. Lotov heyot adam levado. The worst lotov is to be by yourself, not to be connected to others. Tov means I'm connected. Ra means shaky. Ra'ua. That's why when a person speaks Lashon Hara, what are they doing? They're breaking relationships. They're breaking their relationship or other people's relationship. That's called Lashon Hara. Why is it called Ra? It's called Ra because you're doing something which is Lotov. You're causing people that were together to be split. You're talking about them and you're destroying their relationship. And that's why, what's the punishment of the person who speaks Lashon Hara? They send them Tzara'at. Go outside the camp by yourself. You're making people to be by themselves. You gotta go and be by yourself. Lotov, it's not good to be disconnected. And the greatest connection that Hashem found for Adam on this planet is the connection of a marriage. As you know, a marriage is very complicated. It's meant to be complicated. It's not by accident that it's complicated. Hashem put us with neighbors, uh, it's not so hard. At the end of the day, you see them once in a while, maybe once a day, when they block your driveway. (laughs) Maybe you hear them once every two days making noise upstairs. Maybe they're screaming and disturbing your sleep once in a while. It's annoying, but it's limited. Your friends... You could shut them in, shut them out, whenever you like. 
greatest challenge, and it's meant to be that, is this relationship of a marriage where not only are you with the person a lot of the time, you share so much with that person. You can't just block them out of your life because they're part of your life in so many ways. So how much could you block? How much do you say, you know what? I don't care. I'll just live my own. You can't. You share too many things to block out. And specifically in this kind of relationship, Hashem made the stakes so high by making women and men so different. So many issues. So many arguments. So many different ways of thinking that you say to yourself, this is impossible. If anyone thinks that marriage is possible and is easy, it's really a dream that you're having and it's not a real dream. Because marriage wasn't built to be an easy system. It's not. It's actually logically meant to be not successful, if you look at it on paper. How could it be successful? I can't get along with my neighbor who once every week annoys me. I have a person in my house who every hour annoys me. <laughs> How do I do that? It's impossible. And my neighbor, I just ignore him. I don't talk to him. I can't ignore this person. So, and they're so different. My neighbor is closer than that guy is to me. My friends are way more like me than him. So on paper, it is not so simple. That's why marriage needs a tremendous amount of preparation. Person goes into a marriage without preparation? Nobody taught them how to prepare for that? I don't mean preparation two weeks before the wedding. I don't mean like classes and giving them a little pep talk before. It's also nice. I'm talking about years. The years between the ages of 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. Those years are precious years. They're years that are meant to prepare someone for marriage. It, there's a reason why we weren't born married. Because we're not ready to be married. We need first to practice with lighter weights, like our friends. We need to practice with our family. We need to practice with our neighbors. The greatest accomplishment of a young person at that age is preparation for a great marriage. Unfortunately, the country we live in, most people at that age is distracted with relationships. They're distracted by being together with others. They're mixing together and all it does is cause confusion. It causes people to be down. It distracts them from the thing they're supposed to be working on. What's supposed to happen is a hatan and kala, 
for seven, eight, nine years are supposed to be preparing themselves as individuals to work on their character. Oh, when they fought with their friend because their friend got them upset. That's beautiful. I'm so happy you got in a fight. What an opportunity. When parents see their children get into a fight with their friends, it is the greatest opportunity. Because they're going to get into a fight with their husband. And then what? Who are you going to call them? The greatest opportunities of these years are the problems that come up. And how to deal with them. How to empower them to deal with a person who's not acting so nice. Who may be frustrated. Who may not be so respectful. So now what? So what do you do now? These are precious years where a hatan spends his time with hatanim, like him, preparing their character, developing their midot, understanding the true values of life and how to deal with each other. And a kala does the same. And it is only after they graduate the stage of their life properly that they can come together and build this magnificent relationship. I mentioned to you once before, that's why the Shiva Berachot that we say under the Chupah, the sixth and seventh Beracha are identical Berachot, at least it seems that way. We thank Hashem for bringing happiness to the Hatan and Kala. So the sixth Beracha we end, Baruch Atah Hashem Mesameah Hatan Vechala. Every wedding that you ever go to, pay attention. It's such a good reminder. The first beracha is, Hashem brings, thank you Hashem, you brought simha to the hatan and kala. The seventh beracha, the end, Baruch Atah Hashem, Mesameach He Hatan Ima Kala. Thank you for bringing simha to the hatan with the kala. Seems to be identical berachot. Why are we repeating the same beracha? I saw once beautifully said that the first beracha is talking about the hatan and kala before they were married. They were happy individuals. They were happy hatan by themselves without the distractions of the kala of their life. They were focused on making themselves great without all that nonsense that people go through for no reason except to disturb their future. Anybody involved in those relationships at a young age is only disturbing their future. They're not allowing themselves to focus on their own simha. To the beracha, the sixth beracha is mesameya hatan vekala. Thank you that the, that the hatan came into this wedding day. Samea. I can tell you, Many young men that come into their chuppah, sameah. And I can tell you many that do not come in sameah. I mean, they're happy about the wedding. But they're not really sameah. They're happy people. And the kala the same. It is only when they come in as people individually sameah. Because they're focused on their individual self. It is only then you could expect the seventh beracha to 
that they could be together. Only then, there are people that I know, there are students that I know, I can close my eyes and tell you, those people, their marriage will be awesome. I'm not a prophet. I have no nevuah. But I see them as a hatan today, as a happy person, as a person who knows how to connect the right way, who knows how to deal with things that don't go their way. You could see it every day of their life. You're watching them. That's a great hatan in kala. And there are people that you could say, I don't want to say confidently, but you could say, I don't know about this guy. I don't know about this girl. I don't know. It's too difficult the way they are to imagine they can get in such a relationship that's so taxing and make it. I don't know how. That's the reality. The reality is that the greatest tov in our lives is going to be the tov of a marriage if Hashem gives us that merit. You know, people, they always pray to get married. But I think they should be praying to get married happily. Being married isn't a great thing. Being happily married is a great thing. And if that's the emet, there are a lot of people that need tefillot. A lot. Because marriage isn't what it needs to be. I'm not talking about the people who said, I give up, it's over, it's not going to work. Sometimes that has to happen. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the many, 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 many marriages that are not making it. When I say they're not making it, I don't mean they broke up. But they're not the simhan they're supposed to be. They're not. A home of a marriage is supposed to be a home of simha. Always. I say it again. Always. Every day. All day. Even when there is a disagreement. Simha. A home of simha is an unbelievable light. It brings so much happiness and strength to the people in it. That's what a home is supposed to be. It's not supposed to be 10%. When you hear people talking and they make all their jokes about their marriages, so you know that most of their jokes are right on, spot on, target. It's so unfortunate. And I know I'm talking to a big crowd. And I know there are a lot of people listening. And I know there are a lot of people saying, how does he know? Did he he, he come to my house? Is he talking to me? How does he know? Yeah, how do I know? So I happen to know a lot more than most people. Because I I get to see a lot of people in a private way. But it's it's obvious. The guy was yelling in shul. You think he's got a great marriage? He can't even handle the guy next to him. In shul, the guy next to him, he breathed a little differently than he would like, and he goes crazy. He doesn't take a genius to realize, what's the marriage look like over here? It's one and the same. It's not, there's a marriage part of my life, and then there are the other connections. The other connections are just a preparation 
for marriage. They're the same kav, the same line. It's just that one is more complex than the other. I say again, you need years of preparation to prepare for a great marriage of a hundred years and an eternal marriage. It needs preparation. That has to be the focus, the prime focus of every father and mother. Yes, they have to learn. Yes, they need to make money. Yes, they need to do a lot of things in life. But there's nothing more pitiful than a home that's not happy. There's nothing more straining on a person or more draining than an unhappy home. That is the greatest focus, the most important focus of every mother and father. How is this Hatan right now? Well, mom, he's only three. Yeah, but you got to see him as a Hatan from today. Oh, look at the way he dealt with his sister who took his toy. What's going to happen when his wife takes his toy? What happens then? That's what's happening in front of your eyes. Your children at these ages, from young till 20, they are hatanim and kalot. In training, foolish are the people who waste that opportunity to train them well, in the right way, to get them ready for what will be a tremendous home. You have to know that is the most important priority for your children is their eternity and their future, which is only going to happen through a great marriage. It's not a secret. Yes, so it is worth it making the sixth beracha. What a beracha it is. Mesameya hatan vekala. Wait, wait, where were they before hatan in kala? They've been hatanim and kalot for a long time. But fortunate are those who saw the hatan in their house and the kala in their home. The two-year-old kala and the 12-year-old kala and the 15-year-old kala. You gotta have bigger eyes to see the challenges ahead and the reality that's gonna make it special. We bless every couple that gets married. They should build a bayit ne'eman be'Yisrael. A bayit ne'eman, simply translated, is a faithful home. <coughs> simply, it means we're praying that they should have a home where they're faithful to each other. But maybe there's more to the bracha, to be faithful. There seems to be greater things for a couple to accomplish than just to be faithful. Imagine blessing the hatan and kala, saying, I pray for you that you don't throw rocks at each other's heads. It should be matzliach. You should have a home where nobody throws things at each other. Okay, I mean, it's a nice beracha. It's a very good thing if they don't throw things at each other. But we hope to have, we have higher expectations for bayit ne'eman. So of course it means to be dedicated to each other, to be faithful not only to each other, but to Hashem. But I saw once a beautiful explanation. That the word ne'eman comes from the word emuna, which we just explained. But also, the letters, ne'eman, come from the letters aleph, mem, nun, which means amen, emuna, but also means uman. Uman means a person who is a craftsman, 
a person who's able to take material and craft something and create something is called an uman. To have a bite, to have a home, you need to be an uman. You need to know how to create this bite. It's not automatic. People get surprised when things don't go right. The opposite. You know, if I was an, an uman in playing music on the piano, and I don't play good music when I sat on the bench, that's no surprise. I'm not supposed to play good music if I don't know how to do it. It's a surprise if I play good music. That's how it is in marriage. If you're not prepared, if you didn't work on your umanut, then it's no surprise that it's not going great. The surprise would be shocking if it went great. Because you need to be an uman. Are you ready? Have you made the relationships in your life solid? That you're ready for the big challenge? Are you ready to lift and bench press hundreds of pounds? Did you lift the 5 and 10 to 30 pounders? That's a bite, Ne'eman. A bite that has experts in it that have been developing their abilities to make this home a truly great home. And if you're just wondering, what does it mean like a really great home? Like how far away am I from this? So I want to share with you a story you all know, but just focus on something you probably didn't hear. We know the story of Abraham and Sarah. She's 90, he's 100. They have no child together. And then the Pasuk says that the angel came to give Sarah and Abraham the good news. She's going to have a child. Listen to these words. When the angel told Abraham, when I come back to you at this time next year, your wife Sarah is going to have a son. Pasuk says that when Sarah overheard this, she left inside. Not outside, inside. And she says, Ha'af unam eled. What? I'm going to have a child. I'm 90 years old. Ba'aniz I'm an old lady. Excuse me. I'm sorry, I skipped. Ahare beloti. After I withered, I dried up. Haitali edna. Now I have rejuvenation, now I'm going to have a child. That's me. Vadoni Zaken. And Abraham, my master, is an old man. Hashem tells Abraham, hey, Abraham, why did your wife left? And she said, Ha'af unam eled. Can I really give birth? Fa'ani Zakanti. I'm an old lady. And Rabbi say, hey, time out. She never said she's an old lady. She said, he's an old man. Let's get things straight. <laughs> she never said, I'm an old lady. Why would Hashem say what she didn't say? So Hazal tell us, famous words, that Hashem who is emet, Hashem's signature is emet, the essence of truth, Hashem, when reporting to Abraham about what his wife said, he didn't want to say his wife called him an old man. 
I mean, he was an old man. But he didn't want his wife, he didn't want Abraham to hear his wife called him that. So Hashem changed the truth and said, she said, I'm an old lady. Now let's think about this for a second. These are two old people. 90, 100. They've been together for a very long time. It's Sarah and Abraham. It's not regular people. These are the people we want to be married by. And Hashem is concerned that if Abraham hears she called him an old man, he's going to walk out of the house. He's going to say, I said, I've had it with this woman. She doesn't respect me. She calls me old. You think Abraham didn't know he was old? He lived in a different reality. There's really such a concern that Hashem has to lie. Such an urgent issue. I have to figure out a lie so that there should be shalom in this bayit. Very hard to understand. Chaim Shmuel Levitz, the Rashi of the Mir, Allah Shalom says beautifully. He says, of course, Abraham's not walking out of the marriage. He says, we know how sometimes like a person says something and like for a second, for a second, like it didn't feel right and then you realize it's not what they meant. And you're done, you're good. Just keep going. It happens all the time. You hurt, like, ah, oh, no problem. No, it's not, it's not what it is. He's, that's what could have happened between Abraham and Sarah. Maybe for a second you could have heard that, like, of course, okay, it's fine. But that one second would have been a disturbance in the shalom bayit of Abraham and Sarah. Could you imagine what the expectations are? That even a moment like that, a passing moment, a moment that's not even going to make it on the map, that was too much fighting. That was too much issues in the home of a bayit ne'eman. A bayit ne'eman is a beautiful home through and through. And that is the expectation, even though it seems very distant, but that is the expectation. And it could be, and it needs to be, but it needs investment, it needs work before and after. For those who are married, I can't say it's too late, but it's never too late. There's always hope. But clearly, the preparation before makes it much better and much longer. And that's where the beracha comes from. We have no idea how much Beracha comes from a home like Sarah and Abraham. One example of that is in Sefer Shoftim is a famous story of the birth of Shimshon. His parents didn't have children for a long time. Finally, the angel came and says, you're going to have a child, but he's a special child. He's going to be a Nazir. So you're going to have to behave differently. The woman who heard this from the Ma'ach runs to her husband and says, the Malach came, so we're going to have a child, but he's going to be a Nazir. There's special instructions. The husband says, are you sure you heard everything right? You hear? She says, you know what? He prays that the angel can come back. And he came back, and 
The rest is history. That's the beginning of Shimshon. But look at the way the Malach opens his conversation with this woman. He tells her, Hinena at Akara. He says, Behold, you are barren, can have children. Velo yalat. And that's why you didn't have a child. Veharit, but I give you a blessing. You're going to conceive. Veyalat ben. You're going to have a boy. Midrash says, what was the beginning of that statement for? What is it to describe to her what she knows? She knows she didn't have a child. Just tell me what you, give me the good news. So here's the bad news. You're barren and you can have a child. I don't need to hear that now. Tell me, I'm going to have a child. That's all I need to hear. Why does the Malach have to say that? You are barren and that's why you didn't give birth. Is that supposed to make you feel better? What, what is that all about? The Midrash says that this woman, of course, had a great marriage, but she had a little feeling, bad feeling, that it was her husband's fault that she didn't have a child. That something was wrong with him. It was like a little thing that she didn't know. But it was like a possibility that maybe it wasn't really her, it was him. She felt, you know, she was normal. Must be his problem. The Malach tells her, if you want the blessing of a child, you gotta get those feelings out of your system. Because it's blocking the beracha. This bad feeling about your husband is blocking your blessing. So he tells her, he ne'at akara. Let me help you. You're barren. And that's why you have a child. Let's clear that up. And then you could see the blessing of having a child. Amazing thing. Even the smallest <coughs> hiccup could be a block to a beracha. We're not talking about not punching each other. We're talking about the smallest discomfort. That's already too much. Too much. It should be perfect. That should be the goal. We shouldn't want anything less than that. It shouldn't be what the people in the street expect. In the, in the street, they expect a good marriage is not so great. That's how it is. It's okay. It's good. It has its good times, bad times, ups and downs, whatever it is. Hopefully more ups and downs. But that's not what the expectations are. It's the wrong attitude. We have a lot to look forward to. A lot, a lot to strive for. And to end off, listen to this. Listen to this. Yeshayahu and Navi tells us to look at the example of Abraham and Sarah. If you want to look at a marriage, look at Abraham and Sarah. Habitu el Abraham avichem. He says, look at your father Abraham, learn from him. The more we learn about Abraham, the more we're learning about our bayit, about how to make a great home. Ve'el Sarah te'hol al-chem. And study Sarah. Good so far? Habitu el Abraham ve'el Sarah. 
Ki ehad kerativ. Because I called him one. Va'abarechehu. And I blessed him. Ve'arbehu. And I multiplied him. Right? Did I say that wrong? The Pasuk begins by talking about two people. It says, look at Abraham and Sarah. That's plural. And the Pasuk says, and you should know, I blessed him. I multiplied him. Him is him and her. What happened to the couple? We started with the couple, we ended up with one. The answer is, Matov umanaim shevet ahim gam yahad. Hashem says, the greatest thing you could learn from Abraham and Sarah is va'abarechehu. I blessed him. There wasn't two. I blessed one because they were so together. It was one. Ve'arbehu. There were no two. It was yahad. It was ehad. That is a great model to follow. Study Abraham and Sarah and the beracha that they had because of their great unity. This is davar tov yesamehana. Davar tov. Tovim ashnayim mina ehad. People together, connected. Matovu manaim shevet ahim gam yahad. Connected to family at all costs. Give up the money. Give up whatever you have to give up. Don't give up the blessing. Matovu manaim. Don't give that up. With your family. Never should there be a break. And Lotobeyot Adam Levado. Vibayit Neeman, a great marriage. Davar Tov Yesamehena. Says David Amelech, that kind of connection to the people of our lives somehow eradicates all the de'aga, all the worries that we live with day to day. Our blessing is that we should find the right answers, the right keys to make all of our relationships so close and so beautiful. And we take off that bandage or that, that block and we'll connect to things and to people in a real way. Baruch Amen. 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 Amen.